Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Hi. Welcome to Twins Talk Theater. This week, we'll talk. We are talking to a projection designer named Shiva Kalili. I met her at East West Players doing As We Babble On. She was the projection designer there, though I didn't actually meet her until afterwards. I just heard about her and saw her work a couple times. Uh, and you live out here in Los Angeles, California, with me. Welcome to our podcast. So, how did you get into first of all theater, and then we'll go. How did you get into projection design? Did you start at an early age or start later on in life? Ooh, um, I started. I I started theater as a as a small child. Um, when my parents were trying to uh, instill a sense of self confidence in me. <laughs> and of course that didn't work because I don't like being on the stage or in front of people. Yes. Uh, but I found a home in, in high school theater behind the scenes and even middle school theater behind the scenes. Um, I, I found my people and there I stayed. Um, yep. We feel it, the it's, same way. It's been good for me. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, it's I, the sense of community brought me there. And then I just, um, I love puzzles. So um, in in high school, I was actually our high school's technical director because I I liked figuring the things out and then um, decided I was going to go to school for scenic design. Um, And so I went to I went to UCLA. I have my bachelor's in um, scenic design from UCLA. Um, I don't use that very often, but. Uh, I have learned a lot from it. Um, and while I was there, I, uh, I was, uh, assisting another, uh, a scenic designer there, a graduate student, um, whose name is Caitlin Pietrus and she's a phenomenal, uh, oh, I think she's, designer. uh, I think she's actually doing the current East West Players show, uh, Viet Gone. Oh yeah. Yep. She's, <laughs> she's wonderful. Um, yeah. And I think that, that, I think that she first told me about East West players the first time she worked for them. But, but yeah, so I was, I was assisting her on a scenic design for something and, um, she would, she would teach me when she had spare time. And then when she graduated, um, there was a, a brief period of time where I was the only undergrad who knew the program, um, who knew watch out. And then, and then I learned QLab and just, uh, I think I got into projection design by being in the right place at the right time. Uh, <laughs> and then I, then, then I loved it. I think it's very fun. I think it's funny. So many people have, have basically said that, that we've talked to for the interviews that they, it was kind of like, yeah, they did theater and they were working in theater, but they didn't really make it in theater it just kind of i was in the right place at the right time met someone on this one-off show who then took me to this show who then took me to that show kind of scenario so then when when you graduated ucla did you still were you originally trying to do scenic design and you just kept getting more projection design work or were you more focused on projection design um 
so my first my first job out of college was actually as a, a technical direction intern um, for Disney's creative entertainment department in Anaheim. Nice. Wow, what a way to start your career. I know. <laughs> well, that's yeah. like mine. So I graduated, then I went to Broadway. <laughs> and, then- <laughs> and then she hasn't been back to Broadway since. But it sounds great the first couple months. Right? Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah Disney was a, a great jumping off point for my career. Um, it um, I have a lot of uh, personal qualms with Disney as a company, but we don't need to go into those. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it um, I learned a lot. It ended up not being the right place for me. Um, I uh, worked as an intern there for six months and then a technician in the park for um, another six months seriously. But like on paper, I was technically a, a technician there for about two years. Um, and in that time, they sent me to um, to Shanghai to uh, program for Shanghai Disney. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, which was a very cool project. Um, and I got to work with Caitlin Pietrist there again. So she's a reoccurring, recurring theme in my <laughs> career. Um, which I'm greatly thankful for. Um. But yeah, so that that was kind of I didn't I didn't actually do my first um, theater production out of college until about a year after graduating, a little over. Um, so so it took a little bit of time. And then and then by then, I think people just knew me as because I hadn't established myself as a scenic designer. I was kind of the only projection designer a lot of people knew. Um, and mm-hmm. that's how I was getting my work as opposed to a like budding scenic designer, which I never really was. <laughs> I feel like the knowing people and getting jobs around that way is is <laughs> one of the only ways to really get a useful job half the time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, when so you, you said uh, programming, what were you what were you programming? I was programming video, um, using watch out um for oh, a, couple okay. of, a couple of entertainment venues um in shanghai so i did the frozen sing-along um the like frozen sing-along production in in shanghai and um and the like meet meet mickey area had a whole uh like moving art exhibit in it and so i programmed that as well um and when i was hired for those i I was told that I would be um, just pro- like they hired me as a watch out programmer. And then I got there and they were like, we want you to install all these systems and work with these vendors and train a crew. And I was like, you know, I have no idea how to do any of that. Um, and they were like, then great, you're all. hired. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but but then I learned and I, I was very lucky to have a lot of a lot of great teachers there, um, a lot of other programmers who are willing to take the time and um, and teach me the details that I didn't know. And then um, the Internet is a great learning yes. tool. <laughs> so, did yeah, you, but you knew you knew watch out before you went out there. Did you learn watch out in school? Um, I learned watch out from Caitlin. Ah, OK. Yeah. Um, I learned, I learned QLab as well on accident. Um, I was, 
it was my first, my first professional design gig. Um, I was scenic and projection designing a show for a small theater in West Hollywood. Um, and I had a co-designer who, um, who was, who was doing both elements with me and they kind of figured that we could split the two things. We had different skills. I, I could build even paint things like that. Um, and we decided to use QLab for projections, which was a software that he knew. Um, and I didn't. And then, um, he, he ended up leaving the production, uh, just before tech. And I had a system with QLab that I did not know how to use, um, and had to figure it out. And, um, the sound designer spent a lot of time with me, but other than that, it was, it was a lot of Google and a lot of guess and check. And then, and then I was a QLab programmer. <laughs> so it's a lot of being in the right place at the right time. Or I guess, I mean, in the wrong place at the right time. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure at the time it was definitely wrong place. Yeah. So I've only learned and kind of like you on accident, I had no choice QLab only because when I was at the Norris in Palos Verdes, uh, mm-hmm. our sound people use QLab. And then we brought a project. We bought a projector, and we're like, "We'll put it through QLab. Sound uses QLab. We already own the rights or the whatever it is." Yeah, the license. And then they're like, "Yeah, the license, and it can do projections, and it can, you know, have so many speaker outputs and all that. Great." And then the one person we knew who knew QLab got a full time job, and then we were like, "Oh, so." Oh. How do we build a PowerPoint presentation in QLab? I'm like, I know it exists. I know it's super simple to yes. do if you know how to do it. And about 10 hours later, I was on the phone with Larry Murrow, who was the one who knew it. And I said, <laughs> how do I just get a fade, a slide to crossfade from one image to another? He's like, oh, it's simple. I'm like, yeah, except it's been so many hours of me trying to simply figure it out. <laughs> So between the two programs, because you were taught one and you kind of had to learn the other one, there's probably some bias, but what are the pros and cons between the two? I've seen people use Watch Out, East West Players uses it, and Jeff Kaysen uses it. And I think you said Cindy Luma uses it. I think it's Watch Out that they use. I know, I can't remember now. I know I've I've worked with designers who have used it, but I've never... Like, obviously, I don't program, but I can't remember if it was, I think Long Beach Opera and Chicago Opera Theater also use it. And I can't remember if it was Luma or not, but I know Long Beach and Chicago did when I was there. Yeah. So what what are the pros and cons of both? These are two programs that do the same thing. Um, Watch Out can do a lot more. Um, I also personally find Watch Out a lot easier to use. Um, and I know that designers will disagree on that. Um, but uh, watch out, you have a lot more control to change things on the fly. Um, you, can, you can adjust colors and things like that. And it doesn't, it doesn't weigh down your computer as much as it does in QLab. Um, QLab's really great if you have very simple things. If you're going from like one backdrop to another. Um, if you have one projector... QLab's awesome. And anything more than that, it gets a little bit more complicated and and good QLab programmers can do can do more with it, but um but in the end you're always stopped by how good of a computer you can get. Whereas in in Watch Out you're basically like stacking computers. 
you can you can have a bunch of like really great computers that will give you a lot more options um so is it i the, it's a computer or the program just works better like um, you still can you just do it, it on one laptop it's it's the way the program uses a computer so it uses the computer so like watch out is um you to to run any show with watch out you need two computers because they work like um like an amp and a speaker essentially oh okay uh, so um so you have one computer that's your production computer that's sending control and then and that's the one that you're sitting in like building your show file on and all of the adjustments and then that is triggering another computer which is is basically your content machine um and that's what stores all the files that then that then do whatever you've programmed them to do um qlab on the other hand works as just one machine and um watch out is pc based um and qlab is mac based so you're basically well, on qlab you're limited by the number of outputs that a mac can have Whereas with Watch Out, you can you can basically add more computers the more outputs you want. Like once you run out on one, you just add another machine. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's, it's also it's interesting because cool. so many designers seem to be focused. Like if you ask a hundred people what they use for computers, uh, half of the time it's whatever I have. The other half the time, if you're a gamer. You use PCs, and if you want to design pretty pictures, you seem to use Macs. Yeah. And so to have a watch out, you said, is better at, like, designing and running things to be through a PC, is that because you just have more power to use it, or because somehow the program's designed better in the design phase? Um, I think it's, I think it's the program. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know the the answer to that. Um yeah, I think it's the program more computer itself. program. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um but it's it's also uh Macs kind of come out standard. Like you can customize them to a certain extent, but not really. With um with a projection machine, you generally want to have control of your graphics card and th and things like that. So with a PC, you you have that option of just like buying the right graphics card and putting it in. Um, yeah, much more modifiable. Modable. Yeah. So you can you can basically create a computer that can that just does that and does that really well, but can't really do much else. Huh. Um, whereas as a as a designer, you you need more things, and so I mean I'm I'm Mac based personally. I prefer I like it for running the Adobe suite. Yeah. Whereas. Um, Sydney and I both grew up on PCs and my husband's a PC person. So, and I have an iPhone for years, but I get behind a Mac and I can't even figure out how to like, turn on the program I want. Like I have to hover my mouse somewhere to get a program to pop up to look at it. Super confusing yeah, I was, um, I was PC based as a kid too. I, my, both my parents worked at HP. So like <laughs> I grew up on PCs and then all of a sudden I made the switch and there's a learning curve there. Yeah, and I think I think if I had no choice, somebody handed me a piece, uh, an Apple or something, and said, "This is your computer." I'd figure it out. But for the first twenty years of my life, it was just PC <laughs> and an yeah. iPhone. Mm -hmm. So I, 
I have a question. You're talking about using like stacking computers in order to to do bigger programs. What mm-hmm. when you were working at Disney Shanghai? How many computers would you have for that? Ooh, um, because to me that's like a big number. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So in in one venue, I had I think in one venue I had six, in the other venue I had twelve. That is so awesome. Yeah. It was it was really cool. I mean in the um the Meet Mickey venue that I did, it was um they'd created basically an art gallery, but every frame was around an L C D screen. Um so basically little Samsung TVs and we'd run control out to them and they were moving paintings. And so I was controlling oh, probably like 40 screens i want to say each with unique content um all at the same time all at the same time how long would it take you to program uh, um programming it didn't i mean programming it took a a few hours but i was i was constantly getting new content so then it was like like i'd get the content i'd i'd add it and then you know, the next day I would have something new. So then it was just like, it was a little bit more complicated than just like dropping in new stuff. Um, a a lot of my job was making it work. Um, it had, this system itself had been, the system design process had been passed between so many different people because that, um, I don't know if it was specific to that Disney park or, or Disney parks in general, but the design phase takes so many years that like, yeah, there's a point where, you know, you, you get to a project and the person who like originally thought of it hasn't been on it for six years. And so it's like, (laughs) it's like a really bad game of telephone with these things (laughs) where it's like, okay, like I have all these tools. I know how to use half of them. I think they want me to do this (laughs) and then trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, no, Jeff Kaysen and I uh, were watching the creation, install, build-out project for the World of Color at California mm-hmm. Adventure at Disneyland. And I think we watched it online through releases and press releases and background stuff for about three years before it finally opened. And I know they didn't start publicizing that until years after they started the whole design process. But by the time the yep. public, even the Disney enthusiasts knew, it was three years before we were there actually seeing what was going on in that one show at one park. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure Shanghai <laughs> ran roughly the same way because <laughs> it yeah. still all went through Disney. Yep. So did you have... There's just a lot of turnover on those things in general. So There's so it's... many people at Disney who are going between so many different projects. Yeah, I, I can't mm-hmm. imagine the scheduling and coordinating of all that. When you were yeah. at Disney, I know it because we've all been, we've all been, meaning me and <laughs> twin and my husband, uh, been to Disneyland and DCA so many times. Uh, there's a Finding Nemo thing over in Disney's California Adventure. It's not just Finding Nemo, but that whole animation studios thing. Um, and they do a lot of live feedback 
with the projections mm-hmm. and the videos about the people who are actually in the audience or pictures of people in the audience? Did you have to deal with any of that stuff? Like on a nightly no. basis it changed or is it just whenever the designers change things? It was, it was just whenever the designers change things. Um, okay. It was, I mean, because it was it was like any other tech process but instead of one director you have like six executives that are there making calls and so and then you know you have two designers one of whom is there and one of whom is in Orlando on a completely different time zone Mm -hmm. um so it's just like like the process was it was a journey because they're just like so many more opinions um than there are otherwise yeah because these people are looking at money and these people are looking at design and these people are looking at you know that's not what mickey mouse looks like or yeah or whatever Disney story keeping it up to all of that and like making sure it's family friendly and um and fits the the like um what's it called the like motto or the whatever of the whole image of disney yeah well the whole image of of shanghai disney specifically was um was like classically disney but uh uniquely chinese or something something along those lines um and so they were uh very uh they were just very conscious of chinese culture and um and how to how to present Disney stories in a way that related to the people in China, um, which was a really interesting process, but just um, an additional challenge. Yeah, because that's interesting. I mean, that's a whole other topic, the American story versus the Chinese story. <laughs> and how to get yeah. a very American person, Walt Disney, to fit into a China. Mm-hmm. Well, how did... How was that experience for you? Like, did you, as a programmer, do you work normally independently? Like, you just kind of go in and work by yourself? Or do you work with a bunch of other people? Like, were you there with a group of other programmers? Or were you kind of secluded from from the rest of them? Um, I was there with a group. So I had um, a great leader who's the guy who brought me out. Um, his name is Dan Wagerman. And then uh, there were... Under him, there were four of us on the video team um, doing all of the all of the like creative entertainment installations. And then there were a couple of other people who were there um, for the Nighttime Spectacular, which was just like a bigger beast in a lot of ways. But um, one of the other programmers, her name is Nicole Voss. She's extremely talented and so smart and so kind. And she was very patient with me and taught me a lot of things. Um, and did she come out from California too? Uh, yes, yes. So I'd um, I hadn't really crossed paths with her in Anaheim, but um, but I knew of her, and uh, she says I didn't give her a choice in being my friend. I just decided that we were going to be friends, and then that's what happened. But isn't that how um, friendship works? And, You're like, hey, another person. I'm just going to spend time with them till they eventually give up and like me or run away. Yeah, right. That's how I feel. It kind of well, goes. <laughs> there was um there was a group of about 30 of us in the like um all our titles were technical specialist um and a lot of us were from like our group just like got got very close because 
you know, those are the only other people there that you interact with on a daily basis and you know. Yep. Um, so, but, but her specifically, she, uh, she and I were both, we're like the two watch out programmers essentially on the, on the gig. And um, anytime I'd have a programming issue that was just like out of my league or whatever, she would, she would stay and troubleshoot with me. And there was, there was one day where the two of us uh, were there alone in this, in this meet Mickey space that like, we finally figured out how to mute it, but man, like being in there all night is just, just an experience. Cause it's so much more Disney than you anticipated. Um, <laughs> just trying to figure it out. Um, and so I was, I was very lucky to have a, have an incredible team that taught me so much. And I, um, I got a lot out of that experience. I am how very long, thankful. And that how again, long were you over was there? being in the right place in the right time. I was there for four months. Nice. And they like put um, you up and house you and everything. Yeah, it was a sweet gig. Yeah, that does sound pretty awesome. I've known actors to go over there, and uh, they they have nothing but great things to say about working over over there. But I think yeah. no, I think I knew one or two in Shanghai and one or two in Tokyo. Yeah. But still, anyone who seems to go overseas with a Disney entity seems to come back with good things to say. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, I need to be fair. It was, right now I look back and it's like all good things. But if you oh, ask me yeah. on my last day, I was no. like so thankful to be home. Because we were working, we were working on average 70 hour weeks. And like, you know, would would reach a problem and would be like, well, this is the way to solve it. And they would be like, well, find another way. And uh-huh. And you're like, there is no other way. So many (laughs) hours of work. It was like, just like, we didn't have the time or the support or the tools to to fix things the best way possible because the project had just gone so far over budget so quickly. Um, That in in the end, that group that was there was really just like fighting tooth and nail to get a park open. Um, And we did. And that was incredible. And such a huge learning experience and um, such an incredible feeling to be there the first time guests walked in the park um, and has done so much for my career because uh, people see that and, and immediately know that I've worked to a certain standard um, and then it, it has also gotten me so many more programming gigs because, well, if I could do that, I could do other things. Yeah, yeah. Disney has a strong pull around here of being top notch in all they do, but can be a pain to work for. As Absolutely. almost half of Southern California and the entertainment world has worked in some Disney entity at some point. But they do produce good stuff, so when other people see it, they immediately say, oh, well, if you could do Disney, then you can do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, when people ask me why I left, I preferred my soul. But um, it, I, I did create some very cool things um, <laughs> with very cool people. And I it's thankful. a trade-off. Yeah. But then, then again, Cindy does shows, and, and I do shows, but I don't have to leave home. Cindy only spends about maybe a third of her time in the city she has a residence in. Uh, <laughs> That's the dream. You get, 
you you go there and you do a show and you spend 70 hour weeks and it's the worst time of your life and two weeks later you're like oh i miss that place (laughs) but you just had a four month gig instead of a six week or eight week gig which you know Mm -hmm. same same kind of idea which all theater is but not everyone has to physically leave home to do it which is a whole nother level of dedication commitment and you have no one to talk to except the people you're already talking to all day or a cell phone totally yeah um and i think i think being in in china specifically added another level of of challenge because chinese culture is is so different from american culture um Mm -hmm. and so they're they're just things that you have to get used to that are hard to get used to how does that work? I don't know much much about Chinese culture, but at least in American culture, um, a lot has changed on gender recent. Not recently, but in the last 50 years, definitely a lot. Did you have mm-hmm. issues with that over there or just the speaking a language, eating the food? Or was it working with their people um, and you being a female? In in some places, being being a female was a challenge. In um in the big cities right now in in China, I just um I just toured with a uh, production of Legally Blonde um that went through a few theaters in in some major cities, and a majority of our crew was female. And like it it wasn't an issue with like the higher level people that uh that work in that theater environment because they're used to it and they're from the city and things like that. But um, in the park and on this on this production, um, I noticed that a lot more of the workers had a harder time listening because um, they tend to be from from more rural areas of China and they're not they're not used to it. So it's like the people in the cities are. But then, like, when you get to the the, um, the older men and the, the men from more rural areas, they um, they're a lot more resistant to listen. Because um, it. Yeah, because it's just not what they're used to. Yeah, or- and a lot of a lot of the construction crew from uh, Shanghai Disney was from like very rural areas of China that had just like I guess it's uh, they they'll like travel to the city and and work for a few months and make money and then go back to their areas. Um, and a lot of them hadn't uh, had like never seen someone foreign before. Um, and let alone like, uh, I mean, I, like I have dark hair, but, um, I had a, a couple of friends working on the project who are white and blonde and people would stop what they were doing and turn and stare at the like white blonde girl walking by because not only was it like a female in a position of power, but it was someone that they'd never seen before. Um, so that was, and, and on, on that staring isn't considered rude in Chinese culture it's just not so it, so it wasn't like they were happens. being rude absolutely yeah. um and so but like for us that you know takes a while to get used to if you ever get used to it um and so, so you're like dude stop staring like, yeah and away. it makes you really uncomfortable but like yeah and it's like okay so that's just that's just what society has taught me to feel. And it's not necessarily like this person isn't doing anything rude. They're not doing anything like they're not trying to target me in any way. That's just the difference in culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the food wasn't so much. I mean, I guess the food was, 
we definitely got tired of the food in the park, but, um, but outside of the park, we were able to find a lot of, I mean, Shanghai is a very diverse city. Um, and there's a lot of Western influence. And so like, like I had a favorite burger spot in Shanghai that I will go back to anytime that I'm there and I've taken (laughs) other people there. And I honestly miss that cheeseburger. It was a very good cheeseburger. That is great because Cindy and I studied in London for like four and a half months. And by London, I meant we were in London about half the time. And then we traveled to every city, state, country we could get to uh, in four and a half months. But nobody could make Mexican food. Like it was a near impossible. Even the grocery store, they had um, El Paso tortillas and El Paso refried beans. And that was it. It doesn't taste the same. But it's the closest thing you can get to Mexican food after months of being away. So, you know, at least you had some places you could <laughs> go occasionally yeah. and be like, I like Chinese food, but can I please have like a salad or a burrito or a pizza? Yeah, <laughs> we had options. We did. I mean, there was a Mexican place that we went to every Tuesday. We went for Taco Tuesday. I mean, whoever Excellent. got off of work early enough to go. Um, and I'm pretty sure at least ev- at least or everyone on our crew had gotten food poisoning there at least once. But, but it was the only Mexican place around. And it was like, it was Seriously? really shitty Mexican food. <laughs> like it was, it was not good by any means. And like the margaritas were like so sugary, they would make you sick. But <laughs> we went every week. That's dedication uh, right there. It oh, is. Yeah. We didn't find our, mean, our Mexican food place in London until we were about three or four months in. And they sor- served like a Cool Ranch tortilla chips as the tortillas. And we were like, great, perfect, whatever. <laughs> I'll take it. Exactly. Yeah. It has corn tortillas somewhere in there. I'm good. <laughs> whatever you can get. Uh, so what, yeah. was your, what was your job when you got back from from Disney did you continue to work at Disney or like did you just start getting Um, more design work or programming work I was actually so uh before I went to Shanghai for about six months and then after I came back for another year or so um I worked as a as a construction buyer on tv shows um I had this idea what is that uh, um it's like essentially it's somewhere between like an atd and an accountant but on tv um yeah so i would uh i i had this idea that i wanted to be a production designer and that i wanted to work in the art department and um uh i got this job um that my my boss very much said that like you could do this for a little while and then we'll get you hired in the art department as an art department coordinator because it's like an easy lateral move um and the job was great i would uh i would order stuff and and keep budgets and handle all the time cards for entire construction crews and i i got to be on sound stages and see how they were building things and like when work was slow they taught me to weld um so it was an incredible job and yeah and uh the guys were all really nice um and it it paid me way too much for the amount of work that I was doing which I was not complaining about Um, I love when theater people say that because we're so used to working like 70 hours a week for no money that when we actually get paid decently we're like this is way too much money you're no this is just normal 
this is what we should be getting paid and yeah. the hours we should be working. I've just heard that weird. the difference between but theater and like the difference between theater and like TV film is like a zero at the end of your paycheck. Not even kidding. Yeah. One or two zeros. Like that's just what's accepted there as opposed to what we accept in the same city doing our Oh totally. But yeah, because nice. well, so one sells for so much more. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, even though I can buy a theater ticket for $50, which you think is way more and you buy a movie ticket for like, what, $15, everybody's seen that movie across the yeah. entire world, not just anyone within 15 miles of us who has easy access to a uh, to get here and wants to get here and wants to spend $50 a ticket. Yeah, very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it was... It was was a time um, I, <laughs> it, it was a great job because um, ultimately I was I, I had to be there full time but I had very little work to do um, and and my boss had told me that he'd had people do the job who it took them all the time to do that amount of work but like for me it was it was just a fast thing and it was easy for me to like get it done and then work on other things um, and they fed me and I got regular paychecks and like, um, and then I would spend my time, time there working on content and I would still design shows in the evenings. Um, not, not a ton, but, but then I could, I could do things that I actually cared about instead of, you know, searching for a paycheck that would, would actually fund my life. Um, oh, man, it sounds like you because had a theater doesn't job. pay a living wage. No. Yeah. It was, it was really great. Um, but there was just, uh, I got to a point where like, I couldn't, I couldn't make myself care about it anymore. Um, and, and like, I just, it wasn't something that was in any way fulfilling. It wasn't leading anywhere to me. It was, it was, um, preventing me from investing all of my time in doing what I wanted to do. Um, so I, I ended up leaving that about a year ago. Um, and yeah, that was that was the right move for me. But when when you decided to leave, was it because you were just done and you had nowhere to go? Is because you started to get more design jobs and you're like, okay, I I can live like this and then jump because it's a hard decision to leave a full time paying job for. Yeah. Not. Well. So honestly, I left because I thought I wanted to work in tech. And this is something that I'm, I'm still like floating the possibility of. But um, but I I left to start apply, start uh, spending more of my time applying to full time jobs as a project manager um, at tech companies, um, which. I mean, me applying lasted all of about three weeks before I started getting projection design gigs and then and then. I don't know if I got distracted or just like didn't ever really want to do that. Um, but, but yeah, about it, about a year ago, once, once, uh, once people I knew realized that I'd left this full-time job, I just started getting other work. And so, um, I had a friend start hiring me to, to program shows, um, including that, that legally blonde tour in China. And then, um, and then I started getting more and more design gigs and have been working consistently since. And so, again, that, that happened on accident. Um, 
And I'm so thankful that it did. What I love is that I, I mean, I was in this position and Stacy was and a few of our friends. Like Stacy said, it's hard to like make that choice to, to leave a full-time job, but I always believe that something else will come around, you yeah. know, like it just happens because you're where you're meant to be at the right time, you know, and if it's the time, mm-hmm. if it's time for you to leave, it's time for you to leave. And then that next gig is going to come. Yeah. It's still a leap of faith, though. It did for me. Yeah, totally. And there were there were several months last year where I got I got very depressed because I wasn't getting work and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, working in theater, I feel like so much of our sense of worth comes from the work that we're doing. Um, Yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. The like I. I suddenly felt worthless and like a failure because I, I couldn't figure it out. And then it just, everything clicked into place and like, I've been good since. <laughs> and so it's been pretty sweet. Thank you. Mental issues, which I feel right. most theater or artist people have <laughs> way right. more than the rest of the people. Yeah. And I mean, I've also taken, taken a lot of steps to get my depression in check so like now I do better between gigs but um there have been times where it's it's been not not great um when work gets slow and that was a lot of what was leading me to look at other jobs was because I didn't I didn't know if um my mental health could handle working freelance but because it's it's a full-time job while unemployed to get the next employment. Except yeah. it's a full-time job where you're not getting the paycheck benefits, socializing with anybody else. You're sitting on your couch in whatever state your house is in looking for the next job, but it's like an eight hour or more a day writing the cover letters and the interviews and the emails and searching what about the company so you can write the good cover letter. But you don't get a paycheck mm. at the end of the week, which means you don't have money at the end of the week and things like that. So I don't know how anybody yeah. anybody uh, gets through it. <laughs> but obviously for it's, thousands of years we have. So Yeah, right? Yeah, I guess it's tough. the highs um, are better than the lows as long as you're in a high. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there are there are a lot of steps that I've taken to like make that more okay. And, and in the end, like I know personally, I have a hard time. Um, I have a hard time with unknown. So if, if I don't know what my next gig is, if I don't know what direction I'm going in, that's something that makes me panic. And so um, the trip I'm on right now was me trying to embrace the unknown to see if I could handle just not knowing, you know, like I have no idea where I'm going to sleep tomorrow night. And that's, that's great. And that's something that I'm, I'm challenging myself to do to make myself able to like work freelance, which is, um, is a little bit backwards, but, but I don't know. It's what but we're do doing you th- right now. Do you think it's working right now? Are you feeling a little more comfortable not knowing what's coming? Yeah, definitely. And yeah. then how, uh, um, not to, you know, you're technically on vacation. I don't want to ruin it. But when you come back, do you have jobs lined up or are you looking for jobs or how is that working? Because in freelance, they're like, oh, you get to make your own schedule. It's like, yeah, I get to worry about what I'm doing every single minute of every day. (laughs) So do you know what you're doing when when you come back or do you not know? And then 
How is that affecting your being able to relax and take a vacation? Um, Sorry, what? this went from like, hey, projections to like really deep mm. stuff. But I think it's something most to, like, people try to figure yeah. out. Um, well, so one of the things I'm exploring on this journey of mine, um, is the possibility of, of being, of nomad life, really, of, of being a digital nomad, which is something that is becoming more and more common for people who work in tech. But I mm-hmm. figured as someone who works in theater, like, oh, why can't the same, the same principles apply? Um, I only ever need to be somewhere when I'm in tech. And, and that's not, I mean, while when we're, working freelance as a designer like yes you kind of need to be in tech all the day rent but um but you know when I'm working working as a programmer a lot of times uh the location is changing so like is is rooting myself in LA actually helping me um and so I have I have a couple of gigs that I'm actually doing uh on my computer while I travel um mostly it's the it's the side hustle stuff, the like, um, I do a little bit of work for a brand marketing company and some work for like web design companies and things like that. So it's mostly the side hustle. But then um, when I come back, I, I the the one deadline for my trip is is a tech that I have that I want to be at, but I'll prep all of the content for that from abroad. Um, and so if if I can make this work and if it isn't something that makes me absolutely crazy, which is very possible, um, (laughs) then I, I might explore the idea of, of traveling more consistently. Um, what I find so cool theory. Yeah, it is. Sorry. No, all of us have the same things to say, except I think I was going to say what Cindy was saying, because I was just going to say, Cindy basically lives the nomad life where she's home one or two weeks and then she's gone for six weeks and then she's back home for a day and then she's gone for three weeks and she has a base because she's married but she never she rarely works in the city in new york city in brooklyn have you ever worked in brooklyn usually work like in manhattan or something but cindy Uh, hasn't lived anna nicole it was technically in brooklyn and that was that might have been it that was Uh, a while ago five or six years ago yeah yeah, so Cindy has a home base because of she married there, but not because she ever works there. Whereas I have a home base because I, I usually only work in L.A. Um, mm-hmm. And some of that is because I, too, have a husband and a chinchilla and dog, where Cindy's cat, a little more do what he wants. Um, but it's hard for me to get outside jobs because even when I went to Santa Barbara and back, I'd be gone for four or five days or a week and I'd drive back down to LA and a couple days later I'd drive back up. Uh, it was different being away from home. But you don't have mm-hmm. a husband to be connected to, not that it's just that. I mean, I'd lose my friends, my you know, nerdy D&D campaigns and no family oh, barbecues yeah, on last minute. Oh yeah, no, D&D is very important. <laughs> and as we have a theater group, it's hard to get everyone together at once. But yeah, traveling you get that intimate connection of in six weeks, you're living with just this group of people going through the same things, but then you don't have a home base. So Cindy, since Mm -hmm. you've been living that style for a while and in and out of it and currently just started a new one, right? You've been in Philly for a week, two weeks, 
two weeks now, but, but you've been home yeah. last this current weekend, and you were home last weekend, so you... Yeah. So what, what do for, you think? The traveling nomad lifestyle? I mean, I love it. Um, I think it's a little bit dis- different for designers, because like she said, for um, designers and programmers, you're pretty much in tech constantly. Uh, for stage managers, it's different, because we have to be there for the entire rehearsal process, and in Agma mm-hmm. houses, you know, we're paid for prep. So, which I never really thought about before. I was in Omaha and I was talking to some designers. You know, I was there for a month, which is actually short contract for me. It's usually six weeks. But some of the designers I was talking to, they were starting to get really restless because they're like, we're used to being in a gig for like 10 to 14 days and then we're off to the next Mm -hmm. one. So it's, it's so different. I can't, I couldn't imagine as a stage manager jumping from tech to tech to tech because it's such an intense period. But I guess it's a little, I don't know. It might be a little bit different for designers. Yeah, I. it's like all part of the rush, you know? You, you like hate it while it's happening. And then like while you're jumping from tech to tech, you, you hate it while it's happening. And then um, and then as soon as it's over, you like miss it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's part of it. And then and then uh, I think my theory is that if if I don't have a home base, then that, that significantly reduces expenses. And then I don't need to be working all the time. You know, I actually um, have um, two friends of mine. One's a stage manager and one's a lighting designer who she now went back to school to get her master's degree. But about three years ago, they had a home base in Florida, but they were both traveling so much. And they finally realized that like they were just never home and they were spending all this money on an apartment and utilities and all this stuff that they actually sold it all and bought a fifth wheeler because he drives a truck. Yeah. And they just live in this fifth wheeler. And sometimes they just take the fifth wheeler with them when they go places and they like they're in um, Brevard over the summer. So they just park it on the grounds and live in it together. And on some gigs they take it and on some gigs uh, if they house them and they don't need the trailer, they just go park it in a KOA and it's like 30 bucks a month as opposed to whatever you're paying for, uh, you know, an apartment somewhere. Yeah. And at first Especially they said it was a little like bit Los Angeles or New York. Like, yeah, exactly. So expensive. Well, plus nobody's yeah. driving a fifth wheeler in downtown New York. <laughs> Bad enough That's to have true. to do it in LA. New York would be terrible. <laughs> But they each have their own cars, too. So you just, like, I think that's why they didn't get a, you know, um, a huge RV. Because this way they can just detach wherever and then just take their, their uh, cars. Right. You know? So they said it was a little yeah. weird at first. They had to downsize. But now they just love it. They're like, it's so much easier. You could take everything with you. Danielle's like, I never have to worry about, like, packing clothes. Because she was like, they're all just coming with me to Brevard. So I don't have to worry about packing suitcases. That's and awesome. Yeah, I think it's a, I thought it was a really cool idea. I was like, if Matt would go for it, I would totally do that. And then just, you know, park an IV and, and travel around. So it's totally an option. Like, there's people that do it, and it saves them so much money, and it's so much less stress and less headache. And then you can go from place to place. You just sometimes have to, like, drive from place to place, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And the driving takes a couple um, of days, but at least then you still have a home base. You have a, this is my bed that I sleep in, and not a, what hotel am I going to tonight? kind of thing i like it that's like your bed that's a cool idea i think i might do that (laughs) we could start a whole techie Um, uh fifth wheeler expedition across the country constantly it's like van life life, but for techs (laughs) exactly new instagram scene 
you open up the the wardrobe, it's just all blacks. Some are work blacks, yep. some are like tech blacks, some are show blacks, but it's just all black. It's pretty simple to do the laundry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Um, Cindy, can I ask you how you make your relationship work if, uh, with how much you travel? Uh, when we first met, cause I was already, I was doing theater when we first met, but obviously I, I just moved to New York and my goal was to live in New York and like work full time in New York. But <laughs> that's worked but well. That didn't happen. You do uh, technically <laughs> live in New York though. You don't I spend much time there. there. Yeah. <laughs> but from the very beginning, well, when I first met him, like I wasn't planning to have a relationship. I really just wanted like a guy to play with. And yeah. that's great. He, and, but I'm sure I, like, Matt doesn't listen anyways. <laughs> Matt knows this. I've told Matt this. Um, <laughs> but it was a conversation that we just had from the beginning. You know, I, I told him about my work schedule and about my life. And I actually was working on a, I had a six month contract in New York City at the time. And so he pretty much from day one knew that my schedule is crazy. Like, you know, when he invited me over to Easter with his parents' house, I showed up, you know, five hours after everybody else because I had shows that day. And when we wanted to do Thanksgiving together, you know, I showed up late because I had a show. So pretty much from the beginning, he kind of knew that my schedule was crazy. And then within within a year of meeting him, about a year after meeting him, um, I took my first contract in California and I was gone for six weeks. So pretty mm-hmm. much from the beginning, he kind of knew what it was going to be like. And I have to admit, I think it's actually much easier for him than it is for me, because when I leave, he's still home in our apartment, which he actually lived in before we met. So it's like his apartment that he's comfortable with, with his cat, surrounded by his friends and family, doing his job. Yeah. And he just kind of like reverts back to a bachelor's life. You should I'm see gone. the number of pizza boxes and Chinese takeout and shit he eats <laughs> while she's gone. Like he needs three days to clean up before she gets back home. Yeah, he'll text me and be like, what day are you coming home? I'm like, uh, you better clean that apartment. You know, so I think it's actually a bit easier for him because he kind of goes, like, he has a rhythm, he has a pattern, and he's very, like, you know, has a nine-to-five job, more or less. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's days where I think it's easier for me because when I go on a gig, I get so absorbed in what I'm doing. Because like you said, you're working 70 hours a week sometimes. That yeah. I just don't have time to, it's not that I don't miss them, but I don't have time to like sit and wallow in the fact that I don't have them. You know, I'll get up at like eight o'clock in the morning and get to work and come home and crash by midnight, you know, barely get six hours of sleep and do it again. Mm-hmm. So it's hit and miss. I mean, it's still difficult. Every time he has to drive me to the airport to go on a next gig, I still get very upset about it. Uh, you, it's very you've difficult. counted down so many days to I'm going to see Matt in 53 days. And I'm like, dude, really? 53? Like used to start like four or five days. I might exaggerate. <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes, it, yeah, she's like, no more work for at least a week. I need to see my husband. I'm going to throw Aww. in Kat, though she doesn't think she needs to see Kat. She needs to see Kat. I need, yeah. I need somebody to scream at. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really get, <laughs> it doesn't really get easier. I'm just really lucky that, like, Matt is the most patient, uh, low-key person I've ever met. So, <laughs> you know. I think a lot has to do with that, but on a nerd side, fun. you said a Loki person, and my first thought was the picture of Loki, and then Matt's face, and I'm like, so not Matt, so not trickster Matt. god oh, killing people, so civilizations. Good. No, 
Uh, she means not the cool low key, low key like he's, he's, <laughs> he's not too I stressed. Was <laughs> but the picture of Matt's face is low key is excellent. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, your husband. Got I'm it. gonna, I'm gonna text him that later though. Um, but I also give him the option to say no to a contract. Like I don't take a contract before I talk to him about it. And there have been a few contracts. Like I almost had a gig with Sarasota Opera, but it was like a six month contract. And Matt's like, absolutely not. You cannot leave to Florida for six months. Same with West Palm Beach. You know, um, my friend who I'm working with right now was a stage manager there for years and she asked me to come down and work with her but it was like three months straight and matt was like nope you can't do that it's too long yeah you know which is hard because i'm like those would have been great gigs and they would have been great for my career and it would have been you know great to have a steady paycheck for three months but it's true like you know if it he didn't want me to do it and it would have been rough to do that so now if it was around baseball season and you were down in florida right that would be (laughs) Is Sarasota or whatever close enough to the the Mets practice grounds? No, like complete opposite of where Mets are, but it is there's some some stadiums up there. So Matt could use it kind of an an excuse to go down there. Yeah, it's true. Which is why he (laughs) loves when I'm in Philadelphia and Boston because Philadelphia is like a two hour drive and Boston's a three hour drive. So you know, he just comes to visit. Yeah. And yeah, Cindy exactly. already Why has the so hotel, good. and she already knows where the food is, and she already knows how to do public transportation. So I think it's an advantage. It is. He's seen a lot of the yeah. country. That's pretty perfect. That's sweet. So, so instead of me living as a nomad, I should just marry someone who lives as a nomad. <laughs> Not um, in theater. Just, yeah. And see the country. <laughs> yeah. No, you. Twin, I, mean, I know. Uh, <laughs> like Danielle, the, the stage manager, and T is a lighting designer, and they just they do like half of their gigs together and half of them are together, and so they get excited during the summer when they have a contract together because it's they, like you know they actually get to see each other for two months, and then yeah, then they're off again. So it's nice they fight to know over that the two aren't. Oh, nice. Uh, it, it's nice one. to hear that the two aren't mutually exclusive because I'd kind of I. I'd kind of started to accept that they might be. Um, I don't think they have to be. I mean, I I think think it's it's difficult, but like any, I mean, even outside of the arts world, which is a fairly big world, like politicians and stuff, they're never home. Well, let's let's ignore politicians. Most of those are bad examples. (laughs) But like TV people are gone for weeks on end and then get back. Even yeah. salesmen or truck drivers or things like that are seem to be gone a, a lot. And we grew up, our dad uh, is a scientist, but he usually worked and got home around the time we were going to bed. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Did okay. You disappear? Good. Okay. We're good. I made sure I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. But like even, even today, or today being like right now in current life, our parents disappear out of the country or go some other state for three or four weeks at a time and then jump back and forth it's it's just another complication but then maybe absent makes the heart grow stronger cindy's really excited to see matt because she hasn't seen him in weeks (laughs) (laughs) actually kate so when i worked with kate mulgrew uh back in 2008 one thing she said to me i think she was on her third husband she still may be on her third husband but 
he lived in Chicago and she lived in New York and that's just where they live like 90% of the time. So I was talking to her about it and she said, no, it's wonderful. You guys, ne- you never get mad at your husband. You never get in fights because you never get to see them. So when you do see each other, it's like honeymoon all over again. So it's the perfect relationship. And at the time <laughs> I was like, that's kind of stupid. But now I'm like, no, it's true. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And our sister in Germany, when we were there, grandma, uh, mama and papa's 30th anniversary. We were out in yeah, Germany maybe. for one of their anniversaries. Yeah. Um, uh, Mom said that the best, their best advice was to do separate but equal vacations because then <laughs> you'd come home and you're excited, but you still got to do what you wanted to on vacation with your friends. I don't know That's what the so actual good. words were because it was translated from German to us, but. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty fun. <laughs> Look at all these positive things. See, there's hope. Yeah. There is hope. Doctor Who told me so. I watched a couple episodes a couple days ago. <laughs> Sorry, I've been okay. doing not work for a couple days, so my nerdy references That's so are going to be pretty pretty high. Kai yeah. just texted about one of Twins' references to ask if it was a nerdy reference. Uh yes, it's the same person. Yeah, no, Twin Twin worked with the uh Kai's Kai's pose uh face uh, God damn it. Kai's text just said, is that Kate Monagrew, the TV actress, played Mulgrew. Captain Jane... Sorry, Mulgrew. Uh, played Captain Janeway in Star Trek. Or someone with a similar name. Nope, it was definitely the Star Trek person, right? Wasn't that, um... Yeah. Equus? Because you kept telling me, oh, she plays Star Trek. But at the time, I didn't know Kai, so I didn't watch Star Trek. So I had no idea who... God damn, I met... Captain Janeway, and I didn't even know it, Kai. I'm really sorry. I was really distracted by Harry Potter. And his uncle. Richard Griffith. Exactly. Richard Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> to realize the you other nerdiness. You that production? Yeah. yeah that was her Broadway place. show. That was my That's first. That's fantastic. <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't it? More fantastic <laughs> for me. We got to go out there and see the show, and I didn't have to do any work but get my mom on an airplane. Perfect. That's so fun. <laughs> yeah no it's yeah it's really it's really awesome <laughs> the connection <laughs> really good way to, right. like you know kick jumpstart my career <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so since i said it'd be about an hour and cindy's on the wrong coast uh over in philly somewhere uh we were about an hour so okay. i did warn you though i don't know how much warning but uh got any good twin stories for us you worked all over the place there's got to be some twins you've come across in your life <laughs> Um, twins actually run in my dad's family. Yes! Um, Identical or fraternal? Identical, or no, fraternal. Fraternal. Yeah. And they run, you fraternal. know that. Baby. I know. Well, I, they run like, in the family, they have to. Identical is a freak of nature. Fraternal is a genetic thing. As yeah. known by science currently. Yeah. Um, so every, um, every generation, there are like two or three pairs of fraternal twins and so um i've i've had like multiple aunts and cousins tell me that they've stopped having kids earlier than they had wanted to because they were worried that the next one would actually (laughs) that is so awesome yeah i'm sure it's quite a shock to be like i'm pregnant and now i have double the bills to pay oh yeah and especially like um 
when when my aunts were born in Iran, uh, like no one was getting ultrasounds. Like no one knew what they were going to get. Yeah, no. Back in the old days, you just had kids. Yeah. And it was a time where like, you know, parents were really, really hoping for boys. um, And then they got two girls. (laughs) It was like double the mouths to feed and also not the right gender. But yeah, now uh, you have to have two dowries to marry those off. What can you do with those? Uh, <laughs> that's Fortunately, my my grandparents are like like really open minded and like really wonderful humans. But um, but yeah, and there was it was a, it was a different time, um, <laughs> and so they were they were surprised with two girls. How long ago did you guys, uh, you guys, your family come over? Um. My my parents both came separately uh, around the 70s. I think my dad came a little bit earlier. My dad came uh, before the revolution for grad school. Nice. Um, and then my, my mom came shortly after the revolution. And then um, did they meet here? They did. They oh, that's a nice coincidence. At, at HP. Um, and they got a jaywalking ticket on their first date. Oh, so romantic. Come all the way halfway around the world to get a ticket together. Yeah. So are, so if your dad it runs in the dad's side, mm-hmm. they're fraternal. So he has so my he has no say in it. It would worried. be your aunt's side. Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. be your so dad, it would be the sisters. Worried. Yeah. But like my cousin is an only child because her mom w- did like didn't want to have three kids. <laughs> so so now how does she so feel about one. possibly being it passed on? So, because my husband's side, they, it runs, it runs in his family. Mm-hmm. But it can't be us because I'm not part of that family and identical or not hereditary. So we're okay, yeah. but there's, there's a bet going on which cousin will be the, the parent of twins. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it a lot of like uh same sex or different sex or kind of equal on which way a it goes? A lot of girls. Huh. Pretty pretty much all girls actually that I know of. Interesting. Well, is it Kai's yeah. family mostly girls? Uh mm-hmm. all female. My husband's family there's no twin males. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if yeah. your husband and I are related. <laughs> I don't think he has. I'm pretty sure he's white all the way through, like we are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty Persian. Blonde and know. like blonde and redheads and stuff. Not <laughs> probably not yeah. much genetic balance there. Yeah, that's not us. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Okay, well, excellent. Um, what? Since you're kind of jumping around, is is there a show you're doing next you want to talk about or advertise or? Or you're not entirely um, sure any big show coming up? You're kind of still on vacation mode? Yeah, my my next show is at an all-girls Catholic Catholic high school. Um, and I, they're just like, I have no idea what show they've chosen this year. I just, I really like the director. And I, um, it's, it's really nice to like, they were looking for uh, more female designers to uh, be able to teach the girls from, um, yeah, from a like, like it, I think it was, 
they they contacted me because I was a young female designer and they wanted that to be able to like relate to the girls who were, you know, the stage managers and the techs and stuff like that. And so we like, I, I had a, in doing this. Yeah. yeah. And so I had a lot of fun with them on the last show. Um, and just like I'm so excited to be back. They're, nice. What they're great. Is it a school in LA area? Yes. It's called <laughs> Oh, what's it called? It's in La Cañada. It's called like something like Sacred Heart Academy. I, I can't of even some... spell that right now. I have no idea. I have no idea what it's called. But this um, is, you've done, is this your second show now there or you've done multiples? Yeah, th- this will be my second show. That's so uh, great though, the- because I think it's important to show that females can do things. I mean, obviously we're three females talking right now, but... In the tech side, mm-hmm. there's a lot of males. So it's great yeah. to see females and to teach females it's okay to do this. Mm-hmm. And their uh, their stagecraft class isn't very like in-depth. It's like, it's just kind of an elective that I guess the girls choose. And so it's, uh, I think, trying to get a little bit more interest in, in the actual like content of the class, um, which is great. And the girls are so smart. Um Yay! That's and excellent. Really fun. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so, yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. We haven't talked to, to I think, any projectionist yet, right? I don't think any programmer either. Yeah. Which is oh, awesome. that's fun. Mostly it's a lot of stage manager like, and designers. Yeah. And even designers that I know don't always talk about like the actual programming of it. You know, in Portland, mm-hmm. I had a projection designer and a projection programmer there's two different people so it's cool yeah it's nice when there's budget to have two different people yeah <laughs> Portland's a big company it's the only place i've worked that could do that most other times it's like you do the same thing but you know yeah to know that you could you know just work as a yeah. as a programmer is pretty awesome too but mm-hmm. that you can step in and do both because that you know widens your range of what you can do also really yeah where. Yeah, and the and programming where? gigs pay more. Yeah, don't they? What pays more? <laughs> programming, programming gigs pay more. Per, really? per hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you'll get like a day rate instead of... Just like a design uh, fee. fee? Yeah, instead of a design fee. The The few times that I've been able to hire a programmer, it's usually worked out that the programmer has been paid more than I have. Yeah. The joy of working <laughs> hourly Fewer versus hours. not hourly. Like yeah. been there, done that. Yep. yep. <laughs> but then so my you can do both. Can be programming, and then Yay. I can still be in theater. <laughs> the perfect opportunity: buy a fifth wheel and just drive around designing things. Yeah, <laughs> that's the plan now. Perfect. We're glad to have helped. Good job, twin. <laughs> Thanks. I'll I'll tell Danielle about it. She'll be happy. <laughs> Yay! Excellent. Okay, so I think we're uh, done for today. Thank you, Sheba. Awesome. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.